Today is November 27th, goodness gracious, 2016. The title of today's message is Commander's Intent. The Commander's Intent. Um, it was, uh, we always promise you that we're, we're going to talk to you about things that are relevant to us, that God has been dealing with us this week about. So I had the privilege of having my brother-in-law come into town, and we were talking outside. Uh, many of you were there at our house on Thanksgiving Day, fried 85-plus pounds of turkey for you guys, and y'all totally wiped it out, by the way. Thanks for that. And, um, but what we did was I was talking to my brother-in-law, and we, I was explaining to him what our church is about. So he was there in the backyard. We were watching people around the fire. We were watching people inside. We were watching uh, groups of people listen to Pastor Eric as he shared the revelation about Isaiah 49, all these things. And so um, my brother-in-law and I were talking. And so I started explaining to him what you guys are like, that this is an Acts, a book of Acts kind of church right here in real life. And so as I kept explaining him different topics, he said, oh, that makes a lot of sense to me. That's just like a commander's intent. Now, my brother-in-law is in the military. He served faithfully for uh, about 20 years now in the Army Reserves. He's been overseas and served more than one tour of duty over there. Incredible guy. And he said, that's just like the commander's intent. And I said, I've never heard that phrase. Can you? Now, now he's piqued my interest. I'm going, ooh, do tell. And so what to, let, me, let me explain it to you this way. A commander's intent... It succinctly describes what constitutes success for an operation. It includes the operation's purpose, key tasks, and the conditions that define the end state. So here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at our commander's intent for our lives. We're going to start off by taking a look at what the end state looks like. We're also going to talk about the key tasks that it takes to accomplish that. And we're going to look at the purpose to which we've been assigned. Uh, did you hear that today, by the way? I was just, I was tickled seven ways from Sunday as we were, we were singing a new song that talks about God's purpose for us. As the words that were coming forth were talking about God's purpose for us. Uh, can I tell you what God's trying to talk to us about today? It's going to be about His intent and His purpose for us. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I love you guys. Goodness gracious, I am so glad to be here doing this. I can't imagine doing anything else. One of the things that I learned about is when you find the commander's intent, here's what happens. There's an actual example from D-Day, June 6, 1944 that they had planned for months about these different attacks, these different aerial assaults, and on land, and on sea, and they were, had very key points in this. But what the, army, uh, the armies that were mobilized there had was a very clear intent of what the commander wanted. And so what they did was they start launching people. They literally had people that were supposed to hang glide in into certain positions and to advance in certain positions to destroy roadways, bridges, whatever else it may be. What happened is they began to launch them after months and months of practice is that everything began to immediately fall apart. The wind currents weren't right. The weather wasn't right. Those who were parachuting and paragliding in, what happened is they were miles off course. That groups that were supposed to go in into two different areas, they, because of the weather and other factors, they ended up merging. 
So you have everything out of whack to begin with. But because the people understood the commander's intent, what they did was they started reorganizing themselves, saying, this is where we're going. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And in a matter of hours, the objective began to be accomplished in each and every one of these areas. It actually led, it was one of the, the turning points of the entire World War II. That's what, this started to motivate me to think, Lord, not only what, are your, what is the intent, but what is the end state of what you design, of what you desire, Lord? What is this picture that we can get today? And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it helps us to do this. You know what? The end state is really, if you were Hebrew, the way that you would say an end state would be to say olam haba. <laughs> the world to come. That which is coming, this end state, what is this going to look like? In Deuteronomy 6, let's take a look. It says this in verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Take a look down at verse 18. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord has promised you on oath. He's promised on oath to your forefathers. <laughs> Thrusting all of your enemies out before you as the Lord said. Let's look at verse 23. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. What is this picture that I'm trying to establish? We see here in the law that the end state, the olam haba, looks like a promised land. It is a promised land that is there. <laughs> you know, a great part of this passage, when you go back to verse 3, Hear, O Israel. The intent here is that it's not just use your auditory facilities. Hear, O Israel. Can you hear me? Am I loud enough? That's not the point here. The Shema says to hear and obey. Amen. To listen with a comprehension that causes action in your life. It is to listen and obey. Some might even say that we can replace that word and say, to faith the Lord. To hear and obey exactly what the Lord is doing. It's really not unlike our lives, is it? Aren't our lives exactly supposed to be this? Where we are supposed to hear and obey everything that the Lord puts out for us. It's not enough to hear it if you're not obeying it. You really haven't heard unless you begin to obey. Why? So that these things will go well with you. God has an end state that He has got a land. He's got a place for us each. Let's look to the prophets. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to start reading in verse 3. Starting in verse 3, it says this. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. We could just stop right there, couldn't we? We're going to get to a much broader picture here. But how do you find an end state? You do not judge by what you see with your eyes. You do not decide by what you hear with your ears. How many times have you done that? How many times have I done that in my life? I look at something and I decide that I understand everything about it. I've not sought the commander's intent. I've not uh, had the right perspective of the end state of things. I've just said, looks this way to me. 
Guess I'll do this. You know what I heard? I heard them say one time. You know what they say? Really? They? You're going to base all your decisions on they, which you can neither define nor find. We just say they said it. Okay. Do not, <laughs> do not decide by what you hear with your ears. Verse 4. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. By the way, anytime you're reading through Scripture, righteousness and justice always go hand in hand. This is the right hand and the left hand of what God's doing on the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. You realize as we're talking here in Isaiah, we start getting a picture of something that's much larger than just what Isaiah, than just the modern time that he was in. He's starting to give us a picture of the olam haba, the end of all things, the end state. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the Lord will be for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know what we have here in the prophets? We're getting a picture of what the world to come is. We're getting a beautiful picture <laughs> that God puts all things in the right order, even so that the animal kingdom, the animal kingdom will have to fall in line with God's perfect plan. That that we say the lion will lay down with the lamb, right? These are the actual pairings that are going on here. We've got a lion that's just eating straw. You've got animals that, are, that should be antithesis. You have a predator and a prey that are going to lie down together. You have everything in the right order. It's kind of like, it's not unlike what we have, where the fact that death and misery are going to be expelled from what God does in our lives. That even death itself will have to bow down to the right order, to the end state that our commander has intended to be. Let's take a look at the writings. Let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Let's look at verse 44. Daniel 2, 44 clearly says this, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. By the way, we, we've read out of Hebrews 12 several times. I believe there was a, a word that came forth this morning from Hebrews 12. I can promise you that our New Testament uh, apostles, that these New Testament disciples that were there, they were thinking of everything that were, was found in the Older Testament. In Hebrews it says, we were receiving, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us worship God and reverence Him with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This says, God will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will endure forever. Everybody say forever. forever. The end state that we have here is we understand that we are fighting for a kingdom that will last forever. Here in the writings, we see the picture of the Olam Haba or the end state as being a restored kingdom. 
It's not unlike our lives. Not only does the Lord intend for it that it go well with us as we obey Him, as we hear and obey Him, that there will eventually be an end to the death and misery, but in a restored kingdom what we see is that we have nothing that will reign over us except our King. There is only one that will reign over us, and that is His will and His desire. Let's take a look into the New Testament. Let's turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Everybody with me? No, we didn't have too much turkey, right? We're still okay. Tryptophan is already worn off, right? All right, so John chapter 17, let's start in verse 1. It says this, After Jesus said this, He looked toward heaven and prayed. I love it when the Word gives us what Jesus prays. What a great picture, right? Father, the time has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You. For You granted Him authority over all people that He might give eternal life to all those You have given Him. Now this is eternal life. I love it. Let's define what that is. Lest you didn't know it from verse 2. This is eternal life that they may know You. <laughs> the, one, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom You have sent. Now, do you realize this is Jesus saying this in the first person, right? He is the one speaking here. But then for a second you get this. Now this is eternal life that they may know You, the only true God and Jesus Christ. Whom you have sent. It's an interesting way to say it. He's standing. Wade Sutherland likes it when people speak in third person. You know, this, it, there's something about this, even in the methodology that he's, that he's saying it to his people as he's praying. He's praying and he understands that there is a, an end state. There are roles that are being played here. There, are, there is a, a plan. There is a commander's intent. And he's referencing this. He's speaking to that end. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the, one true, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Everybody say complete the work. Complete the work. Here in this passage in the New Testament law, what we have here is a picture of abundant life. We have the eternal life that God brings. We have it. This is eternal life that you can know Him the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The idea here is much like we saw in the Older Testament. We've got an abundant life so that things will go well with us. That God has this purpose. He's got a much bigger plan. Let's turn to uh, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Let's start in verse... Let's start in verse uh, 5. Revelation 20 and 5. It says this, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. So what we have here in the New Testament prophet of Revelation is that we have the first resurrection. 
(laughs) We have the first resurrection, a picture of what it's like. It's almost as if death and misery will be no more again. The first resurrection, the second death has no hold over you. These things have been eliminated. They've been conquered. It's not just that they've been vanquished or vanished before you. It's that they have been overcome in your life. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's start in verse 21. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says this, For since death came through a man... Uh, just lost my place, sorry. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. Beautiful picture of the end state. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. What I put here for the New Testament writing is a better resurrection. (laughs) A better resurrection. In order that He is the only one that is reigning over us. Nothing else will reign over us but His kingdom. This is a great passage in 1 Corinthians 15. We see it echoed throughout the Scriptures that God is going to put everything in the right order. He has got an intent to what's going on. Though we may not see it manifest with our eyes or hear it yet with our ears, what He has got is He is going to put the entire universe, every molecule, every atom, every cork, every mountain, every planet will be put in the right order according to God's end state. His plan, His intent is that these things be established in the right place. Without this, Pastor, these, these are kind of big things here. Yes. Yes, they are. Pastor Eric spoke just recently about uh, the idea of how big is your Bible? Not the physical Bible, but is your understanding of the Bible growing and growing and, and the complexity of it is now growing and deepening in your heart? Or things just get more and more simple as it goes along? Well, brother, it's just all about love. Love is important. I'm not discounting love, but to say that the end state, the olam haba of all things is only love? I can list a few other things that this might be about. Love obviously has a part in this, but here's what we do. Here's Here's what people try to do is they try to take away the complexity of God's Word. They try to take away the complexity of this end state. If you think, I mentioned D-Day, 1944, That was one of the most complex military advancements in the history of mankind. The number of people, the number of modes of attack, the number of weaponry, the number of countries. This was so complex, it took months and months and even years to properly plan. Do you think God is not more complex than we are? Do you think He simplified it in our end goal? Our end state is the fat baby angel sitting on a cloud strumming some little harp? You want to simplify God's plan to that? That's embarrassing. That's a disgrace to my God and I won't let you do it. But here's the thing. 
If you don't allow there to be complexity in His will, this should challenge you and it should comfort you. It should challenge you in the fact of, you think you got it figured out, 15-year-old? You think you got it out, 25 years? You got it all figured out, right? 25, you got it all figured out. This thing is complex. He, it, it deserves, it's to the glory of God to conceal a matter, to cause it to be complicated and complex, and it's to, it's to the glory of kings to search it out. This is something that we can spend the rest of our life delving as deeply as you want to go in the Word, and you will never even scratch the surface of what He's got in here. We are blessed as a church to get revelation everywhere we turn. We, there are treasures that are being pulled out of the storehouse, both new and old, at all points of any day. You go to anyone's house, the Word is being opened. Revelation is being shared. There is something powerful happening. The Spirit is moving, and there are prophecies. There, You know what? We could keep doing this for the rest of our life at whatever increased pace that you can imagine and never get to the full complexity of what He has. Well, when we get there, we're going to look at Him and go, wow, we never even knew this whole other part was going on. But without complexity, we have a problem. You know what? Our, that complexity, that lack of complexity starts an entire generation of church people who says that not only is there not a finish line, They've confused the finish line with the starting line. All right, believers, let's just, you know, let's raise your hand and say a prayer and then you're done. I mean, basically we're saying you've done, you've accomplished everything that you need to. I know there are scriptures to read, but really, I mean, really, you've kind of established your end state. This is what this church says. Hey, that was a starting line. Praise God. Do you know what? There's a finish line somewhere way off in the future. And what we've got to do is run and not dis get, get disqualified. And to not cheat and to misapply the rules and to get pushed out of this race. There is a race that we have to run and we have to do it with the commander's intent in mind. We must do it the way that he prescribed. I can't decide this is the path I want to go. No, no, no. There are literally lanes for you to run in. There are literally directions for you to go. There are signs that say, go this way, go this way. We have to do it His way. Because without complexity, without understanding that there's really a finish line, I'm, I'm telling you, you will clear up 90% of theological errors with what I'm saying here, folks. You will clear up errors when you say, it's got to be more complex. Is there beauty in a simplicity of the Lord? Well, yes. But He has got a complex plan here, folks. You can't end just because you got to the starting line. On your mark, get set. Whew. Whew. Wow. You stood up. Run, man. <laughs> and I'm done. Well, what are you supposed to do? No wonder the world looks at it and it's like, that's Christianity? I'm supposed to give my, soul, my, my whole self to this wholeheartedly? You want me to die as a martyr for that? No, you shouldn't because that's ridiculous. What we're talking about is worth giving our life for. The beauty and the complexity of this goes so far beyond our limited words. It is stunning. You know what else it does when you don't have complexity? When you confuse the starting line and the finish line? It gives you no reason for pursuit. It's like, it's as if we asked you to be on an athletic team and we said it's only about practice. Practice. you got to practice. Why? Because practice is important. 
okay, I'll practice. You know, the reason that I enjoyed being on any team and group that I was on was to actually get to perform, to go in the game, to do something. Let me go do something. Let me see. You know what that does? That instills in me the need to go practice. When I'm actually in the game, on the battlefield, you know what? I'm like, ooh. You know, the way I half-heartedly did that? They're getting to technology in certain college and professional sports now that each member is actually, um, they have connectors and sensors electronically, and they're measuring each player's individual heart rate. And if you're back in my day, they were just, everybody's running X number of, of bear crawls and, and laps, and you're just doing all these things in mass. You know what happens? They really are saying, um, you, sir, you're dogging it. And it might be the one who's first in line, but are just so gifted. They're saying, you're dogging it. You need to do it. You need to work harder. Hey, bub, you need to slow down just a little bit. You're actually about to hurt yourself because you're giving it all you got and it's just practice. Don't hurt yourself because we've got a real game. They're literally crafting these things. You know what happens in our lives is we want to do things in mass. We want to have one size fits all where we're all supposed to run at the exact same speed, at the exact same pace, at the exact same time. I'm going to trust that my commander, his intent, is specifically designed for me. That fits in with you. And that we collectively can go out and fulfill what he's got for us to fulfill. Amen. He's got it tailor-made. Are there things that we will all do? Yes. Yes, we will. We will all be holy because he is holy. We, but our individual function, it's just beautifully complex. But without that complexity, you have no reason for pursuit. No wonder why so many people are asleep at the wheel. No wonder why so many people are like, really? Really, this is the best you got? You got clowns on TV? Just want my money? Yeah, this is what happens. Without the pursuit here, and when there's no pursuit, it's really a result of no purpose. I'm going to skip over key tasks. We're going to come back to this in a minute. Okay? I want to talk about purpose for a minute. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. If you don't love this scripture, then you should. (laughs) My personal opinion. I love it. Ephesians 3.10 says this. His intent, whose intent? Our commander's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The whole plan. All right, here's the commander's intent. Can you imagine in in the war room, right? You've got charts laid out and maps. I guess in God's war room, they'd have to be time somehow represented there because it's there's thousands of years he's got all these things going on and he's laying it out he's like i got a plan this is actually the plan i had from the beginning here it is i'm going to take a bunch of weak people despised by the world pretty weak pretty frail pretty broken distressed indebted those are the ones that i'm going to take And I'm going to so put my spirit in them 
that they're going to conquer not only every human being that needs to be conquered. They're going to conquer the spiritual forces, the rulers, the authority in the heavenly realms. These guys, this group, is going to go out and conquer and do my exact will. Because you know what? That's my intent. His intent was that now. Everybody say now. Now. I love what Pastor Eric has been sharing. He's not saying that we will be an Acts kind of church. We are the church of Acts. We are. And it's because that it's now, through the church, this is not designed to be accomplished in any other way. I don't know if I can say this, but I will. It's not designed to be, to be accomplished through some bastardized version of what the church should be. Just because it puts the word church on it doesn't make it this vehicle that God is choosing. This methodology. This intent of our King. That does not make it that. The prophecy that came forth, God is setting and put, has put within us a righteous standard. You know what we cannot do enough as pastors is to tell you that there is a righteous standard and you have to live by it. You have to live by it. You have to live by it. You know why? Because we know His intent. He's spoken it to our hearts. You know why? Because we trust that His end state is the right thing for us to do. Whether I understand the complexity of it or not, I trust Him. And so when He gives an order, we do it even to the death. That is worthy of us following. This purpose here in Ephesians 3.10, I'm going to read it again. His intent was that now, through the church, it's His bride. It's His body. How many other examples? It's His house. Do Do you understand that these are metaphors that are used of the church throughout? And there is a problem, yes, but let me, let me, let me not get you confused about our heart. When we are saying and lamenting the state of the American church, we're not saying that it's this. We're saying that we must be this. And just because they have the title of church doesn't mean that they're his bride. They may be a prostitute. We're saying, well, you guys, you're just a smaller church and you you want to pick on the bigger churches. No, we don't. It would do our hearts good to see somebody doing it rightly. But you know what we can't do? We can't say that it's right when it's not. Amen. We're going to come back to Ephesians 3.10. Let's go to Joshua 24. Good word, Amen. Joshua 24. Right at the end of Joshua 24 is what we're going to look at. Why does it even matter to God? Why? This is what it's looked like when it's done. When it's done, it's going to look like this. But why does it even matter to Him? Because it's through the church that He's chosen to do this. In Joshua 24, we see a beautiful picture of something here. Let's look at Joshua 24 and verse 31. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. Great. What an incredible leader Joshua was. Hand selected by God Himself. Followed diligently Moses, His mentor. There are places where Joshua ends up where it doesn't even seem like he's invited. He just shows up there. Because wherever Moses went, 
Joshua. When Moses would leave, you'd see Joshua lingering behind. Incredible. One of the best leaders that the world has ever seen. But look what it says here. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders. Y'all don't know how much I love our elders here. My life would not be the same without them. I was having a discussion with someone the other day driving across the country and I was talking about the value of our elders. I spent time, as much time as I could eke out in the, in the drive, talking about these men and their families. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. <laughs> because, and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. These elders had experienced everything that the Lord had done. They attached their lives to Joshua. They attached just like they're supposed to do. They were so close that they saw everything they experienced. Everybody say experience. Experience. They didn't just learn about it. They didn't just hear about it. They experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. There was nothing that the elders lacked in their experience. And you know what that caused in them? That caused this incredible thing to happen is that then they were able to take their experience, their closeness with Joshua and the elders. And what it did in Joshua was that it presented something that outlasted his own lifetime. They carried something on that lasted longer than Joshua was alive. What about your progenitry? What about those that you are producing in this world? You have people around you to help you carry that on even if you're gone? This is an incredible picture of God's plan here. Joshua was so blessed to have these elders. These these elders were so blessed to be with Joshua and experience everything that the Lord had done that it kept going on generationally. It went further than a single life. I am now 42 years old. I am starting to more and more think about what happens after me. What happens after me that I've realized is probably more important than what's happening to me. I'm starting to really get a depth of understanding. I've had these thoughts before, but it's starting to impact my soul in just a different way. Being here with you has changed the depth of my understanding. That it matters more to me what you accomplished than what I accomplished. That is what this, one of the many foundational principles that this church is founded on. I'm going to die for my brother's vision. I need my brother and my brother needs me. These are things that say it matters to us what you do, what you accomplish. You know why? Because his plan is complex and it's it's got to take more than just us. It's got to take more than just me as an individual. Under purpose, we've talked about Ephesians 3.10, which is such an incredible, incredible picture. We talked about Joshua 24.31, where the elders had the experiential peace And Joshua was blessed with progenitry. I want to talk about something just for a second. I'm going to talk about mission drift. As I was thinking through this, I was thinking about how is it that people get off in this plan? Well, they're not serious. Absolutely. That could be a a clear thing. Oh, they're walking in sin. Completely, that could be a reason. But I see a lot of people who seem to start off well. I don't know any, there's nobody that I know that has ever decided, you know why I want to start a church? 
so I can have a miserable life. I've, I've never heard anybody say that. Never heard them. I've never heard anybody get married and go, you know what? My life's going to be miserable in about three years. Never heard anybody do that. We go in with the best of intents, but the problem is, is that we don't understand. There's a mission drift from things. One of, the thing, one of the people that I thought about in mission drift was William Booth. He is the founder of the Salvation Army. If you'll allow me just to, to give you some information on him real quick. He started in the London East End. Poverty, rampant. Problems were rampant. They actually started the group, when it first started, it was called the Christian Revival Society. Uh, changed the name to the Christian Mission, then to the Salvation Army. William Booth is quoted to have said, Go for sinners and go for the worst. A man who had an intent and wanted to raise an actual salvation army. Here, let me read you a few other quotes. One of the famous, one of the more famous ones. The chief danger, this is William Booth in either the late 1800s or the early 1900s. He died in 1912, so right before World War I. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Is that on the mark or not? On the money, perfectly bullseye. You're like, wow. I'm going to put this somewhere to remind myself because I think it, it encapsulates where we live better than most things I've ever heard. Let me read you another from William Booth himself. I have no intention to depart in the smallest degree from the main principles on which I have acted in the past. My only hope for the permanent deliverance of mankind from misery, either in this world or the next is the regeneration or remaking of the individual by the power of the Holy Ghost through Jesus Christ. Sounds like a compromiser to you? It's kind of funny that they say early on that it was supposed to be about soup, soap, and salvation. Here's the problem. How many of you have passed a Salvation Army uh, store, venue, somebody ringing a bell out in front of a mall? Outside of the title of Salvation Army, do you ever even consider that it's about this anymore? It is so far from that. What is it about? It's about, maybe it's even about soup. I'm not even sure it's about that anymore, but we've kind of just focused on the physical needs. You know what happened early on to Mr. Booth, to General Booth <laughs> of his own army, right? What happened is, is that this was the order that he decided to do things in. Soup, soap, and then salvation. I mean, you know, if the people are hungry, goodness knows, you can't get them saved. We've got to take care of their physical needs. You know what we call this today? It's a social justice thought is what, our, is what we would call it in a modern day. I mean, we've got to get soap. You've got to, get, you've got to address their physical needs before you can get to the spiritual state. You know what happens? Is even in someone who is as effective as this, the Salvation Army at its height was in over 58 countries. 1.1 million 
um, um, adherents, followers, workers, volunteer army. That's actually where the Salvation Army came from was that it said he was dictating a letter and said, we have here built a volunteer army. And someone who was standing nearby said, uh, we're more than volunteers. And he crossed out the word volunteer and put Salvation Army. That's actually the way that it developed. But what happens here is that actually William Booth was off the mark and doing incredibly great things. He was doing great things. We can see 100 years later, 150 years later almost, the, the mission drift that's there. It's not, it's not even about salvation. The only thing about salvation about them now is the name. That's it. There's nothing else. But what we have, <laughs> what originally happened was let me tell you of the few things that lets us know now, looking back, that even someone with a great, great mission veered from what God had. He did not find out the commander's intent. He decided and replaced components of it with his own intentions. He decided, first of all, this order. He decided that these external things were more important than salvation, even though that was his end goal. Another thing, he said, no communion. There are many reasons why he said this. One of them was he dealt with a lot of people who were alcoholics. And so part of his solution to deal with this was that so they wouldn't be uh, dependent on these mainstays of Christianity, these foundational pieces. You know what he said? He's like, look, we're not going to do communion here. Well... The problem with that is that Jesus said as often as you do it, you're supposed to do it in remembrance. There was a standard of righteousness that he said, you know what, I just don't like that standard. No baptisms. No baptisms. Why? Well, because there are these reasons. The, the Word specifically states that we are supposed to do these things. And for whatever reason, he decided not to. So much so that even D.L. Moody in his time said he would not endorse the Salvation Army. You know why? Because D.L. Moody said that they are a problem for the church. So what are we doing in our lives that are creating mission drift for us? <laughs> Man. You know what? In his... At his funeral for William Booth, he laid in state uh, in London. 150,000 people came by and saw his casket. Wow. 40,000 people came to his funeral. 40,000 people, they held it in a stadium, came to his funeral. I wonder if the mission drift that we can look back now and see, that if D.L. Moody ever spoke to him, he never listened to, was that really, as great as it started out, the mission drift caused him to build his own kingdom, have his own intent, and not find out what the commander actually said. You know, he caused his son-in-laws to take his name. Son-in-laws, whatever their name was, and they had to apply Booth. He made the son-in-laws to marry his daughters add the Booth name to the male. Historic. He caused and put his children in places of authority not because they were the right person for it, but just because they were the family. Guys, 
the things that we may view as small will crush you in fulfilling God's mission in your life. They will crush you. What are you doing that you just don't really like that you think you're going to do it your own way? You know what? You can, you can go to any large church that you'd like. Um, Pastor Nick Massey and I had the privilege of going to Mexico together uh, in August. And we both have experience in like churches. And so we were really kind of being um, very facetious with each other. But we, were, we would drive down the road and we would throw out a quote that was very commonplace in a, in a, in a mega church. We'd throw it out there. And then Pastor Massey would, would catch that one and kind of, you know, I'll, I'll see you that one and I'll raise you at this one. What I saw, uh, and as we were talking about it, here's what happens. There can be mission drift. Because you know why? Instead of finding complexity, we found simplicity. Instead of finding a finish line, we found a starting line. Instead of finding uh, uh, something that is alive and is fresh, we saw something that became stagnant and sickly. The goal is, is you come into the church, in some churches, not this church, not any Acts church, <laughs> not even Book of Acts church like we are. But what they do is they come in and within three sessions, maybe they're really advanced and they give you four. You know, because they don't want to cheap, cheapen the gospel. But in three one-hour sessions, you can learn everything that there is to know about God's end state, about His purpose for your life. That's week two. And week three would be the key task, which means that we need you to come and serve. So in three easy installments, you, my friend, you have found the purpose for your life. Really, oh great wise one, tell me what is it? It's to come and work for us. That's it. You have now found the community that you need to reside in. And that's to come and hold the babies in the nursery. It's to come and pour coffee in our coffee shop. It's to come and put on Mickey Mouse hands and wave at people in the parking lot when they come in to direct them to their parking spot. I wish I was kidding. <laughs> I wish I was kidding with you. I, I, I wish... I wish that there hasn't been such significant mission drift. But you know what? It's easy to talk about the churches, right? Oh, those guys. Mickey Mouse hands. That's crazy. It is. What about you? What about me? What if we decided that it's just not really... We just have figured out our own way to do this and we're going to do it. What about the things that seem too harsh? I mean, those big churches don't want to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because it's not for the masses. We don't want to offend people. It's not for the masses. Really? So you're just basically treating us like a basket of deplorables here. Is that what we're doing? When you have leaders that continually put you down and say, they're not ready for that. They. They. They're not ready. It's because you don't know them. It's because you're trying to do in mass what should be done at individual levels. You're trying to do in a big old group which should be done from heart to heart and from hand to hand and from mouth to mouth and as they were in the same areas together, doing life together, doing what we do, where we have a service every day at our church, whether it's official or not. Amen. You know why? Because that's what we need. This is an individualized plan that is big in our society. 
We're going to sell things because we can, we can monogram it. We can personalize it just to your liking. No longer do you have to go to the tennis shoe store to buy tennis shoes. You can go online and order your own specific shoe. Unlike anyone else's in the world. I'm just saying God has already had that plan. He can individually give you your purpose, your plan, because you're part of the church. You can't get your purpose outside of the church. You can't be a parachurch organization, even if it's called a Salvation Army. You can't do it a different way in your own house. Man, you have to lead, and you have to lead strong. If you don't, then you are in trouble. You are already drifting from the mission. You are already away from God's end state, His intent, and you don't even know it yet. I was talking to my brother, whom I love dearly. He has a beautiful, incredible wife. She is a surgeon. The height of professionalism. She is a surgeon, and she's a good surgeon. And in a trip that I recently had with him, I said, look, Rodney, if you ever forget the fact that you're the leader in this home, your home will crumble. She, she is so smart. Goodness gracious, she's so talented. That is not putting down on her. I was saying for my brother, you better rise up and meet this challenge so that you lead her well. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to lead her because you know what? She's, she's going to have fears. She's going to have things in a, in a pressure-filled world that she's going to need you to walk her through, to take her by the hand, to open up the Scripture and say, Babe, hey, hon, this is not correct. This is what the Bible says. This is what we will do. And you need to lead your family with, <laughs> with so much strength that you put her at ease and she can literally be the best doctor in the whole Seattle, Washington area. Amen. And it's still your leadership. We can't allow mission drift in what we're doing. <laughs> it, was, it was once said, and, and, and I think as I close out of this section, and I may not get it all right, but you started off with a man. And then it developed into a movement. And then it develops into a machine. And then it develops into a monument. And truthfully, in the Salvation Army's case, then it's become a mausoleum. You have the ringing bells. You have uniforms that look very military in, in origin. And it's just a mausoleum to something that was once there that actually moved people's hearts. Because it went from a man to a movement, and when it shifted to a machine, you had mission drift immediately. It was manifest. What the machine did was multiply the mission drift. All that's left is a monument. We, we can talk about him fondly. We can read quotes from him and be moved in our soul. Be like, wow, what insight, what clarity. I've never organized something that reached 58 countries. Not like that. You know, I was trying to think of the only... I was like, there's the negative example, right, of mission drift. What would a positive example be? What is something that is actually kept true? And I went, oh yeah, the church. Amen. It's the only example that I could think of that had purity that was just today what it was at its origin. And we have to continue to fight for that. It's not enough. It's not enough for me that we only have this but we're replicating it through one association churches, both in this nation and abroad. And 58 nations, well, we'll get to all 70. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Just give us time. Amen.
Let's turn to um, let's turn to Exodus chapter nine. I hope this is making sense to you. I want some of you to consider this idea of mission drift. We're going to go on and talk about other things. But I feel quickened in my, my heart and my spirit about this idea of mission drift. I don't mean it on a global perspective. I don't need you to do that today. It's more complex than maybe any of us can wrap our minds and our hearts around. I actually don't need you to worry about the mission drift of the church. Not in this moment. That's not what I'm requesting of you. We have elders and pastors who can... We're, we're contemplating those things. I don't, I don't even need that from you in this moment. What I'm asking you to do very specifically is to consider what mission drift you have in your life right now. That's, that is what you need to evaluate in today's message. From the youngest to the oldest. From those who feel the most capable to those who feel the least capable. This mission drift is what will change you from a salvation army into a joke in the kingdom. Our every thought must be compared to the scripture. Our every action must be compared to the scripture that has been illuminated by his spirit as we raise up our incense, our prayers before him. That is what we all must do. And if you have one area, if it's about your vehicle, if it's about your job, if it's about your family, if it's about your whatever it may be, there's something that's going on in your life and you're looking at it wrongly. You're not considering what's going on. You haven't actually gone back and asked the commander what his intent for this specifically was. There are things that I'm learning how to do and I'm going, I, I, I feel very strongly about this. I am very opinionated about X, Y, or Z, but you know what I haven't done? I actually haven't gone to the Lord. Haven't gone to the Lord and asked Him yet because you know what I need to do? I want to find His intent. And then even when things break down, if I have His intent, I can still make it happen. You know what (laughs) the point of the commander's intent is? Is that even if plans change, if things happen differently than you expect, as long as there's one person alive, the mission can still be a success if they fulfill the commander's intent. That's exactly what it's there for. That's why you communicate the commander's intent is so that the mission will be successful. Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. God is going to accomplish His will. He's going to accomplish it. The question is, is how will you be used in accomplishing it? <laughs> if he, uh, Exodus nine sixteen says this, but I have raised you up for this very purpose. Oh, that sounds exciting. Except he's talking to Pharaoh. (laughs) That I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The context here is he raised up Pharaoh. He raised Pharaoh up so that this very purpose. Let's take a look. Let's just add a quick paleo in here for purpose as it is in this passage. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power. The word here is the Hebrew, 5668. There it is. Abur. I'll let that be the, def- the pronunciation. We have an I-N. We have a Bet. We have a 
vav, and we have a resh. This is the word for purpose, for this very purpose here. Okay? So we have to watch, to shade, or to know. We have a family, or house, or inn. We have attach, secure, or add. And we have the first, the top, or the beginning. Okay? So we're going to do this. We're going to just, I'm going to write the words here. To know. Family. I'm going to put secure. And I'm going to use for resh, I'm just going to use the word primary. First, top, beginning. When we have purpose in our life, the idea is that we'll know and be secured to our primary family. We'll have an understanding of what it's like to be able to, to watch, to know, and be attached to and secured to. Why do you think that it's been so much lately that, our, that the Lord has been sharing with this local body about who's your family? Who's your family? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? That's what the Lord keeps asking us, right? Who's your family? Those who do the will of the Lord. That's my family. I'm not discounting those who have the natural blood related to me, but they have to come into this that we're doing. Why do you think it's that way? Because God is screaming at us about our purpose. He's having us attached and secured to understand this is your family. Those who do the will of the Lord, that's your family. This is your family. This is what you need. You know what? It's an interesting thing too. Uh, Let's turn to Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, since we're real close. This word is very similar. This word for purpose is very similar to another word. Here, and we're going to see it in Exodus 12, 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt. (laughs) There's a word that's here that goes for to cross over, to pass over, or to pass through. Sorry. You get what I'm trying to say here. You know the difference between this word for purpose and this word for Passover? It's the exact same thing, except this letter isn't in it. Okay? So the word, for the word for Passover or salvation, or what God is doing to cross us over from death to life, or to pass through death into life, is the idea that we will know our primary flame, and we have this, we have being, we're passing over from the world system into something united. But you know what happens is when you start working in purpose, it's the thing that attaches you to that Passover. That's right. It's a thing that secures you. You are now secure in what your family is. You are now secure in the home. Your home. You made it home. That God has secured you. When you walk in purpose, it secures you into your. Passover experience. It anchors you to what God has done. And in Exodus 12, 12, it says this, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. (laughs) 
He is declaring. He is saying, here's my end game, folks. Here's the end game. I'm going to take you. I'm going to do what I'm doing here in Egypt, but I'm going to take you and I'm going to secure you to your purpose so that I will show every heavenly, every earthly, every spiritual being in this entire universe that I am Yahweh. I will demonstrate to them. I will bring judgment upon the gods of Egypt. Now, we know that if you've been on Monday nights, this is a very common thought. But can I, can I encourage you in this? This is not a common thought around to anyone else but us. This is a depth that shows the complexity of God's word here that is incredible. Let's turn to Psalm 138, verse 8. Psalm 138, verse 8. It says this. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, it endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hand. We're speaking here of the Lord's purpose in our life. The Lord will, the Lord will fulfill it. The Lord will fulfill it. If we stay, if we shema, if we hear and obey, you know what happens? He fulfills it in us. It's not based on anything else other than our staying obedient and walking in His ways. When we do it His way, when we have no mission drift, He fulfills His purpose for us. That should be encouraging. Y'all got to help me out. Maybe I'm not communicating well. But the Lord, the God of all creation, the commander, has an intent. You know what His intent is? Is that not only through the church, but in your life, He will fulfill His purpose. Yes. Somewhere between me trying with all that I have and resting completely in Him. Lord, as I rest in You, I will now work with every part of my being to accomplish what You want me to accomplish. But I know that I will probably fail this. Not probably. In and of myself, I will fail this. I'm just counting on You. That You will fulfill in me. That You will make me to be, if I just stay long enough, if I just endure and persevere, that what you will do in me is what is more than I could have ever dreamed on my own. That it will, that I will trust that you will make me be a part of this end game, that you will fulfill your purposes for me. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Let's go to the prophets. Isaiah 55, verse 11. Let's go back to verse 9. good. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Can we say he's more complex than we are? Is that okay to say? Verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire. And achieve the purpose for what I sent it. Why is it so important that we base our life in the Word? Because the Word always achieves its purpose. Yes. When you decide to do things and you've got mission drift and you, you just decide based on what you hear and what you see to do something, that does not always fulfill its purpose. But when we do it according to the Word, when we have our homes in Shalom right, when we trust Him when we don't see it, when we trust Him when we don't feel it, when we trust Him when we can't hear His Word, but we trust in it, Lord, we can see what You're doing. You have spoken to us. We will remain faithful. 
it accomplishes what it's supposed to accomplish. It will accomplish it, both good and bad. We saw it in Pharaoh. God's going to accomplish His purpose. Matter of fact, that reminds me, turn to Revelation chapter 17. Not only is the first use of purpose in the Bible... about using Pharaoh. Look at the last use of purpose in the English language here in Revelation 17 and verse 13. (laughs) Um, They have one purpose. Everybody say one purpose. And will give their power and authority to the beast. (laughs) Whether it's Pharaoh... (laughs) 17, 17. Sorry, close there on me. Seventeen, seventeen says this, For God has put it in their hearts to accomplish His purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. <laughs> this is going to happen until God's words are fulfilled here. So how are we going to be used by the Lord? Are we going to have to be used in obstinance as we are drugged before Him? As we are kicking and screaming? He will get it done. You ever just had that argument with a two-year-old and just decided, this is enough of this? Those are usually pretty short arguments. and It should be short arguments in my book, right? Look, you're going to go here. You know why? Because I'm just bigger than you. I will now pick up your little booty and carry you over here, and you're going to do what I told you to do. Just how it's going to work. So we can either go kicking and screaming. God can say, hey, I want you to do this. Well, look, at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Whether it's Pharaoh or these people giving their authority to the beast, their one purpose in life is to give their authority to the beast. Hey, look, you're going to have to yield to him. I'm just of the like that I would like to yield to him early. I'd like to be a part of the first resurrection, the better resurrection here. I'd like to be on that end of it where I'm getting to willfully participate rather than him dragging me and I'm going to do it anyway. His purpose will be accomplished to me. Let's turn to Luke chapter 7. Uh Uh-oh. Luke chapter 7 and verse 29. Luke 7, 29 says this. This is one of those passages, I have to be honest, I even said this to Pastor Matt and Pastor Eric today. I know I've read this like a gazillion and a half times in my life, you know, 50 times or something. I can promise you it was like I read it for the first time this morning. Listen to this. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. Because they had not been baptized by John. You know what happens when you don't walk in repentance? You literally reject God's purpose for yourselves. We reject it. When we won't have a soft heart, when we just decide, look, I'll ask God for forgiveness in these nine areas, but in this tenth one, nope, I just did what I wanted to do. I am going to stand flat-footed before the God of all creation and say that repentance is not really what I need because they did. But you don't understand, Lord, what they did was wrong. Really, the problem is the Lord's understanding? Oh, maybe the problem is our understanding as pastors. If we only understood more, I can assure you, if you do not walk in repentance, it doesn't matter whether I understand or not. 
you're going to reject God's purpose for your life. We should be ever in an attitude that says, Lord, Lord, have I offended you? Lord, am I fulfilling your intent? Lord, Lord, am I doing this? Not only am I going in the right direction, but do I have the right attitude as I'm going in the right direction, Lord? Lord, would you search me and test me and see if there be any wicked or evil ways in me? Lord, would you come and show me so that I don't walk and miss out on my purpose, on your purpose for me? I do not want to be one that rejects my purpose in the Lord. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Let's go to verse thir- uh, 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. <laughs> don't, don't you do that as a parent? Well, you better listen to me while I'm here. But God help you if I get a bad report when I'm away. Right? You should be even on your better than best behavior. Right? Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with what? It's almost like we're supposed to stay in a repentant attitude. It's almost like we can have mission drift unless we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Anytime that you think that you've got it so down that the complexity of God's plan is now so simple to you. You had jobs like that? You get in a job and after a while you're like, eh, this is pretty easy. Eh, I could do this in my sleep. One of the things that let me know that I was getting close to being done as a teacher and, and wanted to move on into administration was the fact that I could go in and teach my band kids and I realized that I, didn't have to, I no longer had to prep to go in and teach them. The desire that I had to study the music, to think through things, because I could wing it in front of them. I was so far ahead of them. I, was so, I had taught enough that I had enough experience that I never really had to think about it. I could just walk in the day of, on the fly do it better than, than the people around me, and move forward. And I went, God, that's a terrible way for me to be. That's not the standard that I want to be at. I had stopped working out my salvation with fear and trembling in, in the professional sense. Have you done that in the spiritual sense? Look at the next verse. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. If you think you even have a desire to serve God that's based in you, you've missed the point. You can't even take credit for the desire to serve God. It's He who works in you to will and to act. Yeah, I'm not going to have any... I'm, nope, I'm good. I don't need any credit. Lord, even any desire, any small desire that I have to serve you, whatever that is, the good parts of me are all you anyway. If I've accomplished anything, it's because your hand was upon it. Amen. And to think differently means that you're not continuing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Feeling pretty good about myself. Amen. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really because of my really deep desire for the Lord that good things are happening. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Lest you think that His plan is so simplistic that you got it all figured out. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2 as we begin to close. Acts 
we have God's end state. Our commander's intent for his end state or the olam haba gives us a beautiful picture of the promised land, of a world to come, a restored kingdom, an abundant life, the first resurrection and a better resurrection that we have that are complex and beautiful, something that is worth us striving for, us pursuing after, running towards that finish line. Because without that, then there's really no point. There's no purpose that we have. Why are we doing this? Because it is God's intent that through the church He make known His manifold wisdom to the principalities and the powers that are there that we cannot have mission drift. So how do we wrap this up? We talk about our key tasks. What a beautiful thing that we have. Our church is so good at focusing on things like missions on building churches, on Bible studies, on personal evangelism, baptism in the Holy Spirit, what else? Salvations. Preaching. You know what the great part about the Word is? Is it gives us our tasks in a beautiful fashion. You can read passages like 2 Peter 1 and see that we're supposed to add to our faith virtue. We're supposed to add. We're supposed to continually grow. There are things. We have a to-do list. I can assure you. We have this. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2. And let's look at verse 42. Acts 2.42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Everybody say everything. Everything. Had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Isn't that part of the reason why we have mission drift in our churches? Is because ultimately, we're worried that if we don't keep enough back for ourselves, we won't be provided for. We've used World War II as an example. Do you realize that the everyday person had to ration on food, on goods, on how much gas or oil they can get? When you got done with tires, you were supposed to recycle them. Why? Because everything went, what you did here was meant to impact those there. You had metal drives and, and all these different collection points. Why? Because they needed it to make the bullets for the soldiers. I really, I seriously say this. I would hate to see if we got in something like that nowadays. Where it was not built on on the generosity of, of one or two. It was built on the sacrifice of everyone in the country. I don't presume that we were more godly then. Even our culture was speaking to things that were larger than ourselves. But what we've done is we've wrapped these things in such me-focused, this is what I deserve, that the idea of selling goods and possessions and give to anyone as he had need is the true kingdom, 
It's what a church based on the book of Acts would do, like our church, but it is not the norm in any way, in any society, any of the rest of the part of society. Every day they continue to meet together. Hey, what does that say again? Every day? Oh, okay, just checking. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look, I, I put a list here of some things that we, that we can look to. This is part of our key tasks that we have. Let's turn to Ephesians 4 as we wrap this up. Missions. Building churches. Bible studies, personal evangelism, baptism in the Holy Spirit, salvations, preaching. But look at what these tasks are designed to do. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this. It was He, it was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for their works of service, for their purpose, for the plan that God has, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, so that we can get by these tasks that the church is supposed to train us up in. Look what you do. If you've got preaching, the end goal is that it's His intent to use the church to reach the world. Preaching that brings about salvation. You can read that in Romans 10. What? The salvation. We're trying to get to the end state here. The baptisms in the Holy Spirit so that you can have Bible study and personal evangelism. Why? Because we're a part of the answer. We're a part of the solution. We have a purpose in our life. It's not to just do these things in isolation. It's to do these things because it is our purpose that fulfills His end state. We do these things because He has given it to us and it is our pleasure in life. It is our joy because as we are doing these things, as we go all the way to planting other churches, why? Because His design, His intent is that through the church, His manifold wisdom be done. And really when we're saying missions, we're saying we want to plant churches everywhere. We want to go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is what God has instructed us to do. This is what we must be doing. What about us? What about you? How are we doing? How are you doing on fulfilling the commander's intent today? Do you have areas of unforgiveness in your life? Do you have areas where you're standing flat-footed like it said in Luke and you're not walking in the baptism of John and you're literally undoing God's purpose for your life? I'm asking it as a question form because I want you to think about it. As a pastor, I know that there are people who that's, that, that relates to them. I can feel it. Not walking in forgiveness. Holding on to things. You're standing just as flat-footed as a little child would do. Defiant before a parent. You're an adult, so you might do it a shade better than a two-year-old. But it's the same spirit that the two-year-old has. It's defiant before the Lord. Maybe you're here and you have mission drift in your life. Maybe you're saying the right phrases that move people and, and, and motivate their souls to do something. And you yourself are drifting from what God has told you. Has God told you to come here and be discipled? Well, then come here and be discipled. 
Don't talk to me about coming here and be a disciple and then get a job that requires 90 hours a week for you to do. Don't talk to me about that. That's called mission drift. But, but it's called mission drift. Are you, are you fulfilling? Are you running after his end state here like it was the only thing that mattered? Or are you not? Are you walking in to strengthen this church? Because it is his plan. It is God's purpose. It is the commander's intent that this church, other churches like it, which we will call the church, that he'll make manifest his wisdom to the entire world.